Hey there, Victoria here, and welcome to the Choose to Think podcast. It's so good to have you, and I appreciate the fact that you continue to join me every week. It's nice to do life right alongside you. I hope you've subscribed to the podcast or opted in at victoriadwalker.com so we can stay connected. My website has a gazillion downloadable freebies just waiting for you to help you in your quest to choose to think, take thoughts captive, and walk with a renewed mind. I hope that you find these resources practical. That's my number one goal and really inspiring and helpful for you personally. And now on with the show. Today's episode features Kimberly Bynes, serving for over 20 years as a trainer for leaders in state government. Kimberly shares her expertise as she encourages us to apply Philippians 2, 3 through 8 to our lives as leaders, because, you know, we're leaders also, whether at work or in the home. Among other topics, we chat about humility, the mind of Christ, and servant leadership. Kimberly shares real-life examples about her career, her marriage, and her journey to finding personal worth. She also talks about fighting back against the comparison game and that trap. She takes us from her pain to her purpose, and she shares how she overcame blaming herself for her grandchildren grandfather's death. You'll find all the contact info for Kimberly in the show notes. And why don't you reach out to her and let her know how much you appreciated hearing her story of hope and perseverance from today's show. Let's go. Welcome to the Choose to Think podcast, Kimberly Bynes. I am so excited to have you here. And um I would note right now that Kimberly works for this for our state of Kentucky. She is the Cabinet Education and Training Coordinator for the Transportation Cabinet, and she trains employees in leadership skills. So we're going to kind of run the gamut here this morning, and um, it is just so nice to have you. Thank you for for coming. Oh, Victoria, I am so grateful. Thank you for reaching out and uh, thank our mutual friend, Sarah, for getting us together. I think this is going to be really cool. Yes, me too. I have this like huge smile on my face. I'm like grinning ear from ear because yeah, Sarah said uh, the thing she said, she said, I love her. So I thought, (laughs) okay, if Sarah loves her, I know I will too. So um, this is awesome. So I really have such an interest in your feedback on being a leader. Wow. What would you say, Kimberly, are maybe two or three tips, tricks, traits that really make, like if we could say the best leader, what are leaders made of basically? In your experience, what is the counsel that you give as you're training employees as to leadership? Just if you can give us the nutshell of that, that would be awesome. Philippians 2, 3 through 8 talks about this idea of uh, of being a leader. It probably doesn't say that uh, overtly being a leader, but um, it is about being a leader. And a couple of things it mentions there in Philippians, uh, it talks about Christ and it says, I'm just going to read some of it if that's okay. I'm just going to read sure. the scripture here. So starting in verse 3, Philippians 2, verse 3, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourself not looking out for your own interest, but for the interest of others. And so right there, it, in those 
three and four, verses three and four, you see a big attitude or a, a big mindset of a leader, and that is humility, right? And so the humility is about looking out for the interest of others. And so when you are given the opportunity, especially by title or position to be a leader, one of the things that you must take on is I can't just look out for myself and it can't be about me. I am now in charge of people. And so what are their needs? What is my organization, which is also people? What are their needs? What can I do to uh, make sure that we take care of our people? Uh, and this is not about puffing myself up or getting the next promotion so that I can be king of the world or whatever that may be, right? So humility is huge. And then in Philippians, it goes on into verse five and says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And so here we see another attribute is I need to have a mindset of Christ. So what is that mindset? It's Great, because the next couple verses actually tell you what that mindset is. So starting in verse six, it says, who, being the very nature of God, talking about Jesus Christ, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. So here Jesus Christ is creator of the world, God, like there's no greater title, higher position or authority, comes to, to, comes to earth as Jesus Christ and says, I am equal. I'm very nature of God. I'm equal with God, but that is not what I'm going to use to my advantage while I'm here with this group of people. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. So servant, being a servant leader, and that's uh, 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 something that has been talked about now for decades in uh, corporate America is this idea of servant leadership. Uh, and it comes straight from the example of Jesus Christ. I came to serve you, not be uh, glorified, glorified or elevated as God who I am, but I'm here to take care of your needs, what it is you need to have. Uh, and he did that again through humility. Last verse in verse eight there says, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient even to the death on the cross. And so sometimes I think being a leader, and we don't always think about this idea as, uh, as a leader, but a leader is also obedient. Um, they are obeying. What is, again, what's the need of the organization? What are the need of my people? What are the needs of our customers? It's all people-based. I'm looking around and then obeying the need instead of looking to myself and going, what is it that I want out of this? How can I, how can I get noticed today? How can I, that's not what it is. I'm going to obey and look, first of all, I'm going to look for the needs of others, uh, humble myself in that way, looking for their needs, uh, acting for and serving their needs uh, and obeying what the what the actions are needed at this point. And so I, those are the big things for me of being a leader. I want to also unpack a little bit what it means to have the mind or the mindset of Christ in very practical ways. Um, sometimes we, you know, you, it's it's so easy for me to quote a scripture verse and to just say, oh, here's this. But then when I actually have to think, okay, how am I applying that in my life? Or what does that really mean for me as a Christian woman living in the 21st century? What does it mean to have the mind of Christ? What does that 
what how does that function in your life? And it could be in the in the workplace or out of the workplace. I think the mind of Christ really is again looking at what are the needs of those around me. And in today's world, we can be so self-centered in our thoughts, right? Um, and so for, I'm going to give you an example of me personally. Um, I can remember when I first started to um, speak at ladies' meetings in churches, you know, so a, a retreat or a, a tea or whatever. Uh, and my, my first gigs, if you will, the first people that were asking me to do this were all through my mom. My mom had her home church and friends that she knew asking me to come and speak. And uh, so I was going uh, with my mom to these events, which she had set up and and, and uh, had persuaded people to to uh, have me come in and speak. And um, I can remember the first several, the very first several. And because I'm coming in with my mom, especially at her church where she was at, uh, my mom also is a very, my mom is a servant natured person. So when you talk about the love languages, acts of service is one of her uh, huge love languages. She loves to serve and she loves to be served. Uh, that speaks to her. And so when I'm going to these events with her at her church, she is serving, uh, you know, so it, whether it's bringing in food or setting up the room or or whatever it may be. And so I can remember the first several gigs, she would come in and she goes, all right, Kimberly, well, I need you to, to make this and bring that with you. And when we get there, I need you to set up tables and, uh, you know, sweep the floor and, and work in the kitchen and all these things she was asking me to do on top of speaking. And I can remember, I never said it out loud, but I remember thinking, you know what, if I were Beth Moore, she wouldn't be asking me to do this. I would be, you know, they would be serving me. They would be elevating me, you know, waiting for me, having a little green space someplace so that I could be there getting prepared and ready to bring the word of God to them instead of them making me do all these things. I can remember thinking that now I, I obeyed my mom and I did it, but I was not happy about serving. I did it grumbling in my own mind. Um, and it was, I wish I could say it was just one time and uh, I learned my lesson and got it done, but it wasn't one time. It took me a while to realize what an opportunity I've been given. First of all, that, that anybody would want me to come and speak with them. Thank you so much. But I don't always serve just by speaking. There are so many things that can be done and it is not above me to go in and sweep a floor just because I'm speaking that day. Um, my dad, uh, so my mom and dad both worked on the campus of Kentucky Christian College, which is now called Kentucky Christian University over in Carter County, Kentucky. And uh, my mom was a bookstore manager. My dad was the maintenance director. And one of the things my dad had instilled at us is the uh, the look of the campus was everybody's business. So if we were out as a family or even on our own around campus and saw trash, it was our job to pick up that trash and uh, throw it away in its proper place uh, because it was everybody's job to make the campus look its very best. And so I had been instilled growing up in this idea of everything is everybody's job. It doesn't matter what your task has been designated to you or what your position is. Uh, if, if you are a part of this organization, this church, it's everybody's job to, to serve it, basically. And so it took me a little bit of time. A couple, it took a couple more times uh, of my mom 
asking me to, to speak at uh, different functions before I finally was like, oh my goodness, this is exactly what my dad's been telling me all along that yes, I've been come here and asked to speak, but there's so many other ways to still serve the needs of these people. Because in acting this way, in, in bringing the food in setting up the tables, I am also giving a message from God to these people, um, probably more powerfully, if I'm honest, probably more powerfully than whatever words I'm getting ready to speak. It's an act of love. I'm doing this not, again, to be seen. It's because I love you and this is a need that you have, then I'm happy to do it. And so that's one way I, I've learned about the mindset of Christ in a if you will, a professional setting. But the truth is, even in my own home, there are days where, when I want my husband to, you meet my needs. I'm tired of meeting your needs. <laughs> I've been doing this. I've been doing that. I've been doing this. You know, and I had the laundry list of everything I've done. So it's about time you do your part. But the truth is the mindset of Christ is, I, maybe I have done all those things. Maybe I haven't noticed all the things he's done for me because I've been running my own list of what I've been doing and using that comparison chart there and trying to make it even, <laughs> I guess, you know what? That doesn't matter that we don't have those kinds of lists in love. Love says, what's the need? Look for the need. What is the need? How can I meet it? What can I do? Because love does. And that's the mindset of Christ. Love does. It's, you know, for God so loved the world, he sent, he did right? He sent his one and only son. Uh, Christ humbled himself and loved us so much that he obeyed his father and went to the most horrible death imaginable so that we could have life, so that we could be with him forever. Love does. That's the mind of Christ. And so it wasn't about everything I've already done for you. And why aren't you already accepting me? My goodness, what more do I have to do? You know, it's about your time now to serve me and love me. Jesus didn't think that way. He was like, I see the need. And because I love you, I'm going to do this with all, with my excellence. That's the mind of Christ. That is a beautiful example. All of them. They and they thank you for connecting the dots there. I do want to back up just a teeny bit to the um the in your home with your husband example. Sure. Okay. So let's say, you know, that now you're able to not keep this, I'm doing this for you, so you're going to have to do this for me, or poor me, I'm always doing this for you, and you know, where's my cut on this? Somehow you've changed all of that dialoguing, all of those thoughts in your mind. How long have you been married, Kimberly? I, I've been married 16 years. Okay, so 16 years. And I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm mistaken, that this has gotten maybe a teeny bit easier for you to do after this length of time, that maybe it wasn't so easy in the beginning, or there was maybe some point that you had to switch those gears or you recognized that you needed to switch those. But my question actually is, is now, do, I guess this is my real question. Because I think I could do something like that. I could say that. I could say, okay, I want to serve. I want to be like this. I want to operate in this way. I want to be selfless. But then sometimes in my heart, I would harbor whatever, you know, if my needs weren't being met by a spouse, let's say, or a friend or a child, whatever, that 
I, I would harbor that. In other words, I would want to do the right thing, but then in my heart, it would be like I would kind of carry the offense as if it you know, were an offense. I would harbor that away. Maybe that's unforgiveness. I'm not sure what it is or just sin or pride. I'm not sure. But, but how do you avoid? Well, first of all, does that make sense? And then second of all, if it does make sense, how do you not do that? Like, how do you get your mouth, your words to line up with what's really in your heart? Well, it, it, it takes intentionality. So I, while it's, I don't know that the word easier is, is what I would use for, for me because I still get caught up in it. Uh, last week I got caught up in it, uh, uh, between me and my husband where in my mind again, I'm like, do you know what I've done today? It's about time, right? My mind was already going down this, this, I have a lot of conversations in my mind that thankfully don't always come out of my mouth, but the attitude is always there. And so what I have learned in 16 years, what I've learned that helps me get through it faster is one of your very core uh, scriptures that you use for this very podcast. And that is taking every thought captive. And so one of the things I've taught myself to do is pay attention to the voices in my head, pay attention to this dialogue I am having, because a lot of times we do, we have this internal dialogue uh, again, that comparison game or the the list making of keeping score, and we we have that dialogue internally inside of us, and we allow it to grow because we keep feeding it. And so I start, I really start trying to pay attention to the voices in my head and the dialogue I'm having. Uh, so if I start going, why do I feel this way? What's behind this? The truth of the matter is what? Yes, you've done these things. What else has he done? What has he been doing? Does he love you? Yes, Kimberly, he does love you. Or else he wouldn't put up with your foolishness, right? Uh, and so I have to have this dialogue and, and it's kind of somewhat scripted in as far as, again, what's the lie? What's the feeling? Why am I doing this? What's the truth? Those are kind of the thoughts that I put in my uh, my my internal dialogue, that script that's running to stop feeding the lie so that I can redirect. and. I think understanding for myself, I'm a lot like my mom. I love to serve and I love to be served. So when I get into this really selfish mode of I'm doing all this stuff, I have found that actually one of the things that helps pull me through it is when I go, what is Melvin's need? That's my husband's name. What's Melvin's need? And, and what could I do right now to serve him in love, not in I have to? What could I do to serve him in love? And that helps bring the emotion down. It helps bringing, and when the emotion comes down, the thinking is clearer. The thinking becomes a little bit more clear. That emotion feeds my thinking pattern. So if I'm angry or upset or lonely, it's feeding the thought pattern. And so I've got to address the emotion, bring it back down to our normal level. So thinking can become much, much clearer. Now, before we go further, let's take a break from our sponsors. to unpack a little bit your journey to discovering your worth and value. And we have self-esteem and then we have God-esteem. And maybe there's a difference there. I'm not sure. But 
what was your journey like to actually discover, you know what, I am loved, like you said a moment ago, I am valuable, I am worthy. How did you get there? Uh, it was, again, an intentional journey I had to take um, uh, because my marriage was in trouble. So I'm going to back up a little bit. I have, as early as I can remember, like I can remember having very bad thoughts about myself, that I'm not enough, that I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not right. I, I remember having this early, uh, early, early thoughts. I mean, like from age, maybe like five or six, like I can go back a, a, quite a ways with it. Um, and I have no real reason of why I thought that way. Like I grew up in a very affirming household. My, my dad was very good about uh, telling, you know, telling all of us, me and my brothers, um, hey, listen, you need to learn to blow your own horn because nobody can play it better than you. You know, no, don't let anybody else blow your horn. You blow it. You can, you do it the best. And he often would run around the house and say, I'm wonderful. And he goes, and you're wonderful too. Say it with me. Can really say it with me. Just sing it out. I'm wonderful. So I, that's the house I grew up in, but I still did not like myself. Um, and the older I got, the worse that I got. And so fast forward, um, I'm 30 years old. I'm, I had lived in Los Angeles for about seven years and came back to Kentucky. Uh, I was living on my own and I can, uh, remember, uh, you know, somewhere between, I don't know, 30 and 33 years old. I can remember being in my house at the time. Uh, I happened to live alone at the time and just really was wrestling again with this worth, self-worth. And I can remember saying out loud, you know what? I don't have to love myself to love anybody else. I remember thinking that out loud, like I, cause I was done. I had tried the self-help. I had done a bunch of different things, trying to learn to love myself. And I was I was done with it. I was exhausted by it uh, and I was done. And so I said out loud, I don't have to love myself to love anybody else. And it wasn't too much longer after that, that uh, my husband came into my life and uh, we started dating and uh, we dated for about two years and then got married and probably about our third year of marriage, uh, everything was unraveling very, very quickly. Um, it, it almost ended. Our marriage almost ended. Uh, and there were some very hurtful things that went on. And out of that deep, deep pain, what I realized was the statement that I had made years earlier of, I don't have to love myself to love others was an utter lie. I do have to learn to love myself, to love others well, uh, and to love others completely. And part of the problem that my husband and I were having was that I didn't love myself and therefore I was not doing a good job at all in loving him. And so to get myself kind of out of that pain and to, to help uh, work through some of our marital issues, I decided to go on a journey with God about discovering my worth. Because my mindset was, I don't believe anybody what they say about me. I don't believe my mom or my dad, how they think I'm wonderful because they have to say those things because they're my mom and my dad. I don't believe my friends because they just are trying to butter me up. I don't believe my husband that I'm wonderful because he just wants sex. Like I had an excuse for everybody under the sun as to whatever you saw wonderful in me, you don't know. And so when I turned to God, I said, you're the only person I can't argue with. 
right? Because you know, I can't say that you don't know me. You know me, God. And so I'm going to dive into your scriptures and whatever you you reveal to me about my worth in you, through you, whatever it is that you reveal to me, I am not going to argue with you. I am going to accept it however long it takes. And so I went on what I considered my God worth journey. And it took, it's, it, well, I'm still on it, to be honest, it, but it took a good three intensive years to, to finally believe that I am um, worthy, that I have worth um, before I really believed in it. It took me several years after that to actually say it out loud and be confident enough to say, I am a person of worth. I believe it to be true. And I can stand in this without uh, feeling arrogant. Cause that's the other thing I was battling is I thought, Oh, if I think good of myself, I'm an arrogant person. I'm a prideful person. Wrong. God revealed all that to me as well. That was more lies that the devil was feeding me. Um, I can stand in confidence now and talk about um, that the worth that I have, I can stand in confidence now and talk about the talents or gifts or strengths I have uh, abilities that I have without feeling um, that I have to devalue myself to do it or that I have to do that false humility uh, to do it. And so it's an ongoing process that I still have. I continue to go to scriptures. I continue to go to God and ask him to, you know, uh, help weed out the thoughts. One of the things I discovered was along the journey. Uh, uh, so I think the devil's very crafty that, you know, the enemy is very crafty in how he does his business and he's very good at it. And so once I kind of unlearned that unworthiness and, and relearned how to be worthy, he would attack me in a different way. And I wouldn't recognize it because I knew how to battle this one battle coming at it from this direction. Uh, uh, so if like comparison, comparison was uh, one of the things I really had to battle with is, oh, I'm not as smart as my brother, Tim. I'm not as, uh, as, as good a singer as my friend, Lisa, whatever it may be. All right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I had to get off that comparison game. And so when I finally realized, hey, listen, there's, I, I am smart. I do sing well. It's not like anybody else. It's like me. It's like what I've been designed to do. It's the way I've been designed to do it. Um, once I learned to do that, then something else would come in the back door. Uh, that's, I think, the Satan works th sometimes through the back door. And I didn't recognize it coming in. And so all of a sudden, the comparison game would show up, but not in the full frontal way I was always used to dealing with it. And before I knew it, all of a sudden I was down again. I'm like, why don't I, why don't I believe in myself anymore? What's happening here? And I realized, oh, a new thought, a different thought pattern has come into my mind um, that I now have to deal with because it's similar to comparison. It just doesn't look the same way that I've always been dealing with it. Uh, so I continue on my Godworth journey. I think part of it too, and I think this is with most people, whatever you, whatever pain you go through sometimes becomes part of the purpose that you have in life. And so I, I take every opportunity I can uh, with people, especially with women, about learning to value that they have a declared value. And if they're not a Christian, I try not to put it in Christian terms or, or about God yet until I get the opportunity to share it that way. But this idea of there is no reason to compare yourself to anybody else because you were designed a specific way with a specific um, a set of skills and point of view 
to, because we need that in this world, the way you were designed, we need that in this world. Don't compare yourself to others. They, we need their point of view too. We need their skill set as too, but it's to work differently. So stop the comparison game up front. And then if I get the opportunity to talk to them about Christ, I, then I bring in, listen, you were literally created by God uniquely for for this time with your skill set with what you can do with your point of view with what tugs your heart you are made on purpose for a purpose so live with intention and purpose every day that's one of the things i say a lot in my classes you are here on purpose for a purpose so let's live with purpose um uh, and so that's kind of some of the message that i preach even in even in state government <laughs> Oh, that is wonderful. Thank you for sharing. So, and, you know, for being transparent and for being vulnerable, that uh, speaks volumes. And if, for, for me, I think that we, there are basically three ways, as far as our thoughts go, that we can be impacted. And number one, like you've said, it's that self-dialoguing that we have. And those thoughts that we recognize that are from the enemy. And then number two, I think it might be something from the world, a worldly standard, a worldly lie that we're believing. Maybe the comparison trap enters in there. And then it might even be our own flesh. Like, well, I'm going to eat that donut because I just want to eat that donut and I'm going to go eat that donut. I deserve that donut or whatever. If, you know, that might sabotage our our quest for for health. So I, and, and this is just, kind of in my own journey, I've discovered that those are the influences that I have to be on guard against. But from there, I, I've i gone on a quest to even dig a little bit deeper. Because what happened for me, Kimberly, is that I got, I felt like I got so good, like you said, faster and really good at taking thoughts captive. But if you could picture, say, my backyard that's filled with dandelions, and if each thought were a dandelion, I could run out there with my little scissors or trimmers and snip, 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 snip. I could get all the thoughts and I could get them quickly. And as soon as they came up, boom. But they, I got frustrated. I did that for a couple of years and I found myself so frustrated. I'm like, Lord, what gives here? I'm taking thoughts captive. But what I didn't know is that I needed to go a little bit deeper because there were some thoughts that were erupting from roots in my heart. And the biggest one for me was fear. It was kind of like a, a root of mm. a fear. And, and, and so, so then I changed gears a little bit and I'm like, okay, what are the, the, you know, spiritual, um, spiritual roots rooted in the heart, rooted in love and Christ bears good fruit. And so what, why am I, you know, where's the disconnect there? And so that's kind of the, the type of question I'm trying to ask is, did you isolate anything maybe beneath the surface that, um, that you, you thought, Ooh, I'm going to go at this because this is, this is a big deal for me. I think, yeah, oh yeah, that totally clears it up for me. I think, uh, I think for me, a root issue that I always kind of have to look at is uh, blame. I blame myself uh, for anything that happens. Um, and so, when I was when I was nine, nine o'clock, nine or ten, ten years old, uh, my my grandpa, my dad's dad, my grandpa shot and killed himself. And as a, as a very young child, nine or 10 years old, um, I 
took that on as my fault that he shot and killed himself because he didn't think I loved him. And what led up to that was my last encounter with my grandfather, my grandpa. Um, I was visiting, he and my grandma were divorced and I was um, up in Ohio where they lived and I was staying with my grandma and my aunt had taken me by my grandpa's shop to see him. And uh, while I was there, cause I was spending, I would think I was supposed to spend almost the whole summer with my grandma. And so while I was there, Grandpa's like, hey, I, I have this week off coming up soon, and I would love for you to come out and stay with me for a week. And I was Grandpa's girl, so I was like, yeah, I'd love that. I want to do that. Yeah, I'll make that happen. Uh, and I got home that night. A conversation happened between my grandma and my mom and dad, and uh, basically I wasn't allowed to go. And it was a couple days later, I was begging my mom and dad to come and get me. So my last conversation, my last meeting was, I love you, Grandpa. I'm coming to see you. Um, and then nothing happened. And then several months later, we get a phone call that my grandpa's taken his life. And so as a young child trying to make sense of why would somebody do this, I don't understand. Um, and I'm a person, I'm an introvert by nature. So I um, kind of get my energy from tasks, from internalizing thinking and from by, by being by myself. And those kind of natural things uh, that I'm I'm made to do um, can sometimes work against me. And this is a this is a case that worked against me. I never shared with anybody anything that I was thinking, and I really thought it's the only reason that I could think of why would somebody take their own life? Why would they do that? It has to be because they don't think that I love them. I didn't do enough to share or show or be. Um, I didn't, I didn't do enough. Again, I'm not enough. It's my fault. Um, and it was, oh goodness. It was, I think it was almost 20 years after that, before I shared with my mom and dad, any of those thoughts that I had, I had shared with somebody else prior to that, but it took me a while to get to the people who were the closest to the situation to share what I had thought and what I went through. And so I would think that that's probably my root issues is that I internalize it to, again, I'm not enough and it's my fault. Um, and I carry burdens. I am not that weren't meant for me to carry. I, I carry blame that was definitely not mine to carry. Uh, and then I make that heavier by saying again, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. If I had only, if I had only. And so that, that weight, uh, is so heavy on me. And that's probably what is my root issue that I still carry sometimes. Obviously, there's times that I need to own my stuff, right? Right. There's times that I need to own my own accountability on, on issues. And um, and I'm learning to do that and separate it out from the rest. I am not made to carry everybody's burden as far as owning it as mine. I am here to help you carry yours through it. I just have to own mine. Um, my stuff and then take that to the Lord and he forgives it. And he, he carries, right. We're supposed to be yoked with him and he carries the load of the burden when we are yoked with God. Uh, and so learning that to, to be a interdependent with God. And I don't always see it that way. I think, I think a lot of times we are, especially maybe here in America, we are grown up to be independent and self-reliant, uh, and while some of that serves us well, 
we take it to the extreme. And I think that's what I would do is I would internalize it, carry it all myself, not share it with anybody else, not let anybody else carry the load or even speak truth into whatever it is I'm thinking. I would shut it down. Uh, and so I've had to learn along the way um, to open up, to share what I'm thinking, to say, I think this is all my fault, and then allow somebody to speak into it. And if I need to change the way I think or change the way I view, do it. Uh, I need to, I think that's, I really do believe that's one of the reasons why God asks us to confess our sins is that first of all, it brings light to the situation. It doesn't keep it internalized where it's still dark and, and light can't touch it. If we confess our sins, if we confess our thinking, if we confess what we're carrying, um, it brings light to the situation and truth can be penetrate through what we're doing. And then as a Christ follower, uh, forgiveness and mercy, uh, come in and grace helps carry it the rest of the way, enlightens the load. And now I can move faster and past this. I can move further past this. Uh, it can have its right place. And so I would say those are the root issues that I still have to be on watch for is uh, I'm not enough. It's my fault. I'm to blame. Um, what's mine to own, I need to understand and then take the rest of it and leave it at the at the foot of Jesus and let him carry the rest. That's his, that's really his job is to carry the burdens. That's why he went to Christ to the cross was to carry my burdens. And if I'm not letting him do his job and I carry him my own, I, I will crush under the weight and have crushed under the weight. I hope you were as blessed as I was by this candid conversation. I'm going to close this out today in prayer using Philippians four, seven, and eight. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us today to think about those things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there's anything virtuous, and if there's anything praiseworthy. And Father, may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. And until next week, Dios primero y que Dios te bendiga. Chao.